And I, when I say all of us, I include myself. In June of 1995, NASA was forced to delay the launch of the Space Shuttle Discovery out of safety concerns that arose when woodpeckers punched dozens of holes in the foam insulation of a fuel tank. And this all happened as the space shuttle sat right there on the launch pad at Florida's Kennedy Space Center, which we're all familiar with. There's what it looked like. All of the planning, all the expensive preparations were useless and the mission was grounded actually for months because a bunch of woodpeckers had decided that the space shuttle would look like a good place to live. I know we're starting off real spiritual here. <laughs> Stay with me. The story of King Joash in the Old Testament kind of resembles the, the story of that failed mission. Joash became his, his reign as king began with great promise. The nation of Judah had been in a steady decline spiritually, and by all appearance, things now seem to be changing a little bit, and things seem to be heading in the right direction, but in spite of the appearances, Joash's reign as king of Judah never really got off the ground. Let's look at how the story of Joash began. And there's a lot of names in here. If I mispronounce them, it's okay. I even have them spelled out phonetically, and I'll probably still mispronounce them. When Joash was a small child, his father, Ahaziah, had been killed in a bloody rebellion. After Ahaziah's death, his mother, Joash's grandmother, a cruel woman named Athaliah, had all the royal family killed and claimed the throne for herself. So Joash's dad was killed. His grandmother takes over and says, now I'm the queen, and she had everybody killed, except the royal family would have been wiped out completely had it not been for the courage of Joash's great-aunt, a woman named Jehoshiba. She took Joash and his nurse away and hid them in the temple for six years. Six years. When Joash was seven years old, a high priest, a man named Jehoiada, staged an uprising against Joash's evil grandmother. And Jehoiada overthrew his grandmother, Joash's grandmother, and installed Joash to his rightful place as the king of Judah at seven years old. And you're thinking, what could go wrong? Great story, right? Somebody's probably thinking, wow, I thought my family was messed up. It gets worse. After Joash became king, with guidance by Jehoiada, the priests of Baal were put to death, the temples of Baal were torn down, and things looked like they were turning in the right direction. Proper temple worship was reinstituted, Israel's covenant with God was reestablished, and at this point, it seemed like a new godly kingdom had been established in Judah, and from all appearances, the stage was set for revival in Judah. The plans had been laid. The, everything, the pieces were all in place. The process had begun, but in spite of all those good things, something went terribly wrong. You might say that 
some type of spiritual woodpeckers found, were found in the fuel tank of Judah's revival. So what actually happened to de- derail the revival in Judah? Why did such a perfect opportunity for revival slip away? What kept the Lord from pouring out his blessings on his people? What did Joash and the people of Judah do wrong? I want to take a look at some of the answers to those questions in the sermon I have titled today, It's Time to Kill Some Woodpeckers. (laughs) You'll at least remember the title. (laughs) Joash and the nation of Judah missed a real chance for spiritual revival in in their nation because they made a lot of critical errors. And it's some of those errors that I want us to consider today for a few minutes. I believe we have been and are seeing revival take place here at High Point Church. I believe that we're seeing revival take place in the lives of of individuals, and we've been seeing it for several months. But over the past few weeks, it has been especially exciting to see what the Lord is doing, not just in, in the church as a whole, but in individuals' lives. I'm seeing people step up into places where they never stepped before, They are stepping out into some sort of ministry, be it uh, Sunday school teaching or Meals on Wheels or greeting at the door or whatever it might be. But in some type of ministry, people are stepping up and allowing the Lord to use them. Revival is critical. We need revival in our churches. We need revival in our nation. And we need revival in our individual hearts. But revival will never happen, or at least it will not continue, if we make the same errors that Joash and the nation of Judah made. Now, when I say I want to see revival, I'm not talking about having evangelists come here and preach for three or four days and call it a revival. That is kind of a a type of revival. Instead, I'm talking about experiencing and receiving everything God has for us, getting to the place where God wants us to be, and that will only happen when we get the priorities of our lives into line with what God wants from us and to make him first in everything we do. That's the only way revival will come. I think a lot of times that we think of revival and we think of it as a great evangelistic service where people come from outside and they come in and get saved, and that is part of it. But revival is also revival among the people of God. Revival among those that who are saved. Because there's some folks that are saved that need to be revived. <laughs> JB and, and Rick were firefighters for years. You know, I said something about this the other night at the men's fellowship. They probably revived a lot of folks. A bunch. Maybe on the side of the road or in their house or wherever. And that's what some folks in church need to be. They need to be revived. They aren't completely dead, but they're not very lifelike either. We need revival, not just at High Point Church, but in all of our churches across the nation and around the world. And that will only happen when we get the priorities of our lives into line with what God wants for us, and again, make him first in everything we do. 2 Chronicles chapter 24, verses 1 through 4. Chronicles is in the Old Testament. 2 Chronicles is right after 1 Chronicles. Amazing how that works. 
2 Chronicles 24, verses 1 through 4. Joash was seven years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 40 years. His mother's name was Zabiah, and she was from Beersheba. Joash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, and watch this, all the years of Jehoiada the priest. Hold on to that. Jehoiada chose two wives for him, and he had sons and daughters. Verse 4. Sometime later, Joash decided to restore the temple of the Lord. So what's happened so far? The Bible is clear that Jehoiada was a strong leader. He was a godly man, and as long as Jehoiada lived, Joash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. There's a but coming. 2 Chronicles 24, let's read verses 17 and 18. After the death of Jehoiada... The officials of Judah came and paid homage to the king, and he listened to them. They abandoned the temple of the Lord, the God of their fathers, and worshipped Asherah poles and idols. Because of their guilt, God's anger came upon them, upon Judah and Jerusalem. Although Joash did what was right, as long as Jehoiada was alive, once Jehoiada died... Joash and the nation of Judah strayed away from the Lord, and they paid a high price for it. The problem with Joash is that he had no personal convictions. He did not have a relationship with God. When he, was a, he was a boy when he became king, but even when he became a man, he still relied on Jehoiada and others around him to lead him. And we need to understand that while Jehoiada did a great job advising Joash, he could not lead for him. He could not make a covenant with God for him. He could not have a relationship with God for him. Those were all things that Joash had to do on his own. But Joash never did those things. And once Jehoiada was gone, Joash was led astray by those who wanted him to turn back to the ways they were before. To go back to, to mixing, serving the one true God with the worship of idols. And that's what got him in trouble before. And since Joash was a follower and not a leader, and he lacked personal conviction, that's exactly what he allowed to happen. Now, let me say, there is, to an extent, there is nothing wrong with following a strong leader. But you must still have your own convictions and your own relationship with God. If your relationship with God is not personal, then when that leader is gone, so is your passion. When that leader is gone, so is your basis for serving the Lord. And sadly, it happens in a lot of churches. People will follow a pastor. They'll follow a strong leader of the church. And when that pastor or that person is no longer a part of the life of the church, those who base their walk with God on their connection to that leader, they drop by the wayside. They grow slack in their walk with the Lord. They become less faithful to the Lord in his work. They pull back in service to the Lord. But when we follow the Lord ourselves and when we have a personal conviction with him ourselves, people can come and go and we will remain faithful to the Lord because we're not following a strong leader. We're following a sovereign God. And I would ask you today, who are you following? If you're following me, stop it. Follow God. I, I told this story before, but I had a lady one time as she was leaving High Point Church, I don't mean like after a Sunday, I mean leaving, leaving. She said one of the things that, that she had a problem with with High Point Church is that I didn't have enough people following me. 
I've said they weren't called to follow me. I don't point them to following me. I point them to following Jesus. People aren't here to follow me. To see revival happen, we must have our eyes on the right goal. And that goal is never a person. It must always be the Lord. And let me be clear here. I'm not suggesting that you say, well, well then I'm just going to stay home and, and worship myself and read my Bible. That's not what I'm saying. Because that rarely, if ever, works that well. Ask someone who has tried it, and you'll usually find that it worked for maybe a week or two. And then it was just like Joash. The plan kind of went wrong. While the beginnings of revival are often linked to strong leadership, real and lasting revival has never come to people just because of a man. I remember years ago here, here in an evangelist when we used to have revivals that would sometimes go on for weeks, and he would make the statement up front, I did not bring a revival with me in my briefcase. You know why? Because no one can do that. Revival has to come from within us. If we are dying or almost dead, we need to be revived. Revival is always a sovereign move of God among prepared people. And the key phrase there is among prepared people. If we are not ready for revival, if we don't want to see revival, we won't see revival. Revival always comes because a group of people have been changed by God and these changed people repent of their sins and seek the face of the Lord. The biblical recipe for revival is found in 2 Chronicles 7, 14. And it says this, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then, I'm inserting the word then because there's a comma there, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and restore their land. That's a recipe for revival. What does it take? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, we're usually okay with that, and pray, sometimes okay with that. Seek my face, that's okay, and turn from their wicked ways. And eh, now you're meddling, Pastor. See, we're okay with some of that. But it also says if you want to see this happen, this is what you need to do and turn from your wicked ways is included in that. Also, look at this, look carefully at this verse. It includes the word people, themselves, and their. All of these words indicate a plurality of people. That verse does not in any place emphasize a strong leader. It emphasizes changed people. Okay? With me so far. Real revival will never come just because we got behind a, behind a dynamic preacher and attempted to ride on their back into revival. No, real revival will only come when we as individuals and as a group are changed by the power of God. Real revival will only come when we develop biblical convictions about our walk with the Lord. Real revival will only come when we are changed in our relationship with the Lord. Real revival will only come when we make our walk with him the priority of our life. The priority of our life. And real revival will come when God becomes more important than anyone or anything else. 
And unless we're willing to do that, then we can just sit back and die. And there will not be revival. One of the biggest errors that Joash and the nation of Judah made was that they relied solely on a strong leader when they should have been relying on the Lord. And this would be a good time for us to examine ourselves to determine who or what are we following and why. If our eyes are on anyone or anything but the Lord, then it's time for some personal reflection and as a result, some powerful change. Because otherwise, what happened in Judah will happen to us and we will completely miss the opportunity for revival. Second Kings chapter 12 mirrors many of the events that are found in Second Chronicles. Let's read Second Kings 12 verses 1 through 3. Joash began to rule over Judah in the seventh year of King Jehu's reign in Israel. Remember, there was used once, one time a united Israel. And then it split in two parts. Judah was in the south. Israel then remained in the north part. So here's two different kings that are mentioned here. He reigned in Jerusalem 40 years. His mother was Zabiah from Beersheba. All his life, Joash did what was pleasing to, in the Lord's sight because Jehoiada, the priest, instructed him. There it is again. Yet even so, he did not destroy the pagan shrines, and the people still offered sacrifices and burned incense there. While there were a lot of great reforms that were decreed by Jehoiada, there were some other important steps that weren't taken. The temple of Baal was destroyed. The priests of Baal were killed. But verse 3 there tells that Joash did not destroy the pagan shrines and the people still offered sacrifices and burned incense there. These high places that are, we read about in the, in the Old Testament were connected to idol worship of the Canaanites. They were often located on the tops of mountains and high hills. And many of these high places consisted of poles erected to this Canaanite goddess, Asherah. And that's where altars were built and sacrifices were made. The, the worship at these high places was, was not godly. It was very wicked. The sacrifices that were conducted there included both animal and human sacrifices, when the Israelites first got into Canaan, God had commanded them to destroy all of the high places, but that never happened. And by the time Joash was the king, idol worship was far more prevalent than the worship of Jehovah God. Think about that for a minute. This is God's chosen people. And at this point in Joash's life, there were more people worshiping idols than there were worshiping the God that brought them to, and gave them the promised land. And this was a problem that continually brought the wrath of God on his people and it prevented them from enjoying his power and it prevented them from ever seeing revival. I'm sure that Joash knew about the high places. I'm sure he knew what took place there. But it appears that it wasn't worth his time to have them destroyed even though God had commanded it. It might, have been, it might have been that Joash was like some of the other kings of both Israel and Judah. They kind of like to play both ends of the field. And they, they made a show of worshiping the one true God, but then they kept a pagan God on the side just in case the real God didn't come through like they wanted it. Kind of an insurance policy. 
And to destroy the high places would be like destroying their insurance policy. Joash's failure to destroy the high places was offensive to the Lord and was just another of many errors that he and the nation of Judah made. The things that prevented Judah from experiencing a revival like God wanted to bring. So as, as I often say, when we hear a story like this, we might think, okay, cool story. What does that have to do with me? I don't have any high places. Do you? Really? Is that really true? The truth really is that we all have high places in the hills of our hearts. We all have places that we have not completely surrendered to the sovereign will of God. We all probably have areas of our life that we insist on belonging to us, not to him. Yeah, I gave him most of them. That's not what it says. It's like the song says, if you're not Lord of everything, you're not Lord at all. If we don't give him all of our heart, if we don't give him all of our devotion, we are no different than Joash who tore down some of the temples, killed some of the, the, the evil priests, but then said, I think I'll just leave some of that up there. I kind of like those. Even folks who claim to be saved often have harmful habits, unrepented sin, that hinders God from moving through them in the way he wants to. And all of these are areas of our life that he wants us to give up to his will. We've been singing the song, I Surrender All, for decades. When in truth, if we sang it the way we're really living, we would sing, I surrender most. I surrender most. Because we're not really ready to give all. Pastor Alan Carr tells the story of a young child who came to school day after day. When he walked in the door, he was filthy. It seemed like this little child, this child was dirtier every day. And the teachers at the school were so appalled that anyone could allow their dirty child to come to school like that. And as people sometimes do, they discuss the matter among themselves. One teacher said, that mother doesn't love her child. If she did, she would clean her up. Another teacher replied, oh, I think she loves the child. She just doesn't hate the dirt. Pastor Carr went on to say, that is exactly where we are in our churches today. We don't hate the dirt. If we did, we wouldn't tolerate anything in our lives that has dishonored the Lord. If we hated the dirt, we would take the necessary steps to clean up our lives and give God someone he could work with. And he concluded this, until we come to hate the dirt and tear down the high places of pride, rebellion, and sin in our lives, we will never experience the kind of revival we so desperately need. End of quote. We say we love the Lord. And to an extent, we probably mean it when we say it. But the question is, have we become so tolerant to sin in our own lives that we too have become comfortable with it? That is something that we can change if only we would. If we want revival, 
in our personal lives and in our church, we must tear down the high places of sin, high places of pride, the high places of our plans as opposed to God's plan, and anything else that stands between us and God's blessings on our lives and on our church. We need to ask the Lord to help us hate the dirt. Help us to hate the dirt in our lives so we can experience his favor once again. 2 Kings chapter 12, verses 17 and 18. About this time, Hazael, king of Aram, went up and attacked Gath and captured it. Then he turned to attack Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the capital of Judah, so now he's coming after Joash's kingdom. But Joash, king of Judah, took all the sacred objects dedicated by his fathers, Jehoshaphat, Jehoram, and Ahaziah, the kings of Judah, and all the gifts he himself had dedicated and all the gold found in the treasuries of the temple of the Lord and of the royal palace, and he sent them He sent them to Haziel, king of Aram, who then withdrew from Jerusalem. When Haziel, the king of Syria, threatened Jerusalem, Joab did not turn to the Lord in prayer. He did not fall on his face and say, Lord, forgive us for our sin. Deliver us from our enemies. He didn't seek the Lord's will. He didn't declare a fast. Instead, he took everything that was worth anything in Jerusalem, items that he and his fathers had dedicated to the Lord, and he gave them to this king. He used the sacred things of God to bribe the king to keep him from destroying Jerusalem. How much of the most valuable stuff in our lives have we turned over to the devil? I'll tell you what, you just leave me alone and I'll give you this. I'll give you this. If we're not careful, we'll give up things that we really are going to be sorry about. We haven't dedicated our lives to the Lord. And in the process, sometimes we give up our kids. You want to talk about valuable things? What's more valuable? You got kind of quiet in here. Well, Pastor, you're meddling right now. No, I'm not. I'm pointing out that here is a story in the Old Testament that was provided for us, that was, that was kept sacred all of these years since it was written, thousands of years ago. And it wasn't written as a bedtime story. It was written as so we could see when this happens and people react like this, then this is the outcome. And in this case, when Joash lost the, the leadership that he had, he had no personal relationship, so what did he do? He just turned right back to what he was doing before. And then when he was attacked by the enemy, rather than fighting back and through the Lord, the power where he knew that came from, instead of fighting back with the power of the Lord, he said, I'll just give you everything that's worth anything. We cannot allow that to happen. This is just, it's just another example of the lack of resolve and the lack of dedication 
in the life of Joash when it came to the things of God. Our society, when we, you watch the news and you see what's happening in the world, it seems to be on a path of continual downgrade, one that seems to increase in speed every passing day. And if it was just those things outside the world, just the things on a national level, that would be bad enough, but that's not all it is. There's folks that go to church every Sunday, every other Sunday, once a month, however often they go. And they have no personal relationship with God. So not only does it happen nationally, it's happening on a personal level. Consider these questions. Don't answer them out loud, please. When the pressure is on in your life, what gives ground? Is it your personal life or is it things of God that suffer? When money gets tight, what do you cut back on? Your giving or your standard of living? Y'all know I don't preach about tithing and offerings and stuff. I, I don't think I've ever preached a sermon on giving. Maybe that's bad for me. But I will tell you this, those are decisions that we make. I've seen far too many people say, I just can't afford to tithe. Well, I understand. Well, no, you don't understand. I just bought a new boat. I just bought two new cars. Whoa, wait a minute. What is that? There's nothing wrong with a boat. There's nothing wrong with new cars. There's nothing wrong with that at all. But don't use it as an excuse to say, Lord, I can't give you anything. You see me. I'm here. I got nothing left over. And we'll move on. When opportunities of fun and entertainment interfere with your time of worship at God's house, which one wins? It's amazing how I don't ever have anybody ask me to go do something on Sunday morning or Wednesday night. None of my friends ever ask me, hey, we're getting together Sunday morning. You know why? Because they know I'm going to say no. They know I go to church. And again, we'll move on. When you have to choose between rest on Sunday and Wednesday, rest or worship on Sunday and Wednesday, which do you choose? When you have to choose between church or some activity with your kids, be it baseball, football, soccer, or some activity, what wins? Well, pastor, you don't understand. I do. My son grew up playing baseball, basketball, soccer, and he played baseball from T-ball all the way through college. You know how many times he missed church? Let me count. None. And again, we'll move on. The mentality of a lot of folks is summed up by something Bill Gates said several years ago in an interview, and I'm going to quote. He said, just in terms of allocation of time resource, religion is not very efficient. There's a lot I could be doing on a Sunday morning. And there's an awful lot of people that feel the same way. And they find those other things to do. Some people consider church as something they do when they don't have something better to do. And please don't understand me. I'm not saying your church attendance alone will save you because it won't. I'm not saying that God is checking off a box on a list every time you attend or miss church. But 
I am saying that if we really want the Lord to move in our own life and in our church in a powerful way, we need to understand that everything, everything, all of our time, our talent, our treasure must first go to him. And we understand that it belongs to him. Now, I understand there's people that have to work. I'm not, I'm not saying anything about that. If you, there's people that work at High Point Church that work shift work. I understand that. It's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when you actually have a choice and you make that choice. The Lord, his will, his work must come before everything else in life. And if we really want revival like we say we do, then we have to yield all of that to him. Well, pastor, I'm just not, I'm not ready for that. Okay. I will tell you that the Lord must come before everything else. But when he does, and when he does, if you will allow it, he will honor that giving He will honor that with the thing we need the most, and that's his presence and his power. Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34, talks about how we shouldn't be troubled by having or not having stuff. Then it goes on to tell how God takes care of, of the birds of the air, the flowers of the field, with the conclusion that if God can take care of birds of the air, if he can take care of the flowers of the field, then he can care, take care and provide for us. Then in verse 33, there's a very familiar verse that sums it all up, and it says this, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given unto you. All these things will be given to you as well. If we try to accumulate stuff and serve God with what's left over, it won't work, y'all. That's what Joash did. But the Bible tells us if we seek God first, if we put him first in everything in our life, all these other things will work out. Well, I tried that and it didn't work for me. Did you? Did you give him everything? Well, yeah, everything, but eh, not what it says. It says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. If we're holding back stuff for ourselves, we didn't give him all. What this scripture here is talking about this is exactly what Joash and the nation of Israel failed to do. And because of that, they failed to experience a real revival. Everything was in place. God was ready to pour out. And they were, he, I, I know God's looking thinking, wow, they did that. And they did that. And they're doing that. Boy, it's going to be a revival. But they didn't give it all to him. If we put God anywhere but first place, we too will miss out on his best and that is an error we cannot afford to make. Second Chronicles chapter 24, verses 19 through 21. 
Although the Lord, and this is after all of this bad stuff's happening, although the Lord sent prophets to the people to bring them back to him, and they testified against them, they would not listen. Then the Spirit of God came upon Zechariah, son of Jehoiada. Remember Jehoiada? This is his son, Zechariah. Zechariah stood before the people and said, This is what God says. Why do you disobey the Lord's command? You will not prosper because you have forsaken the Lord. He has forsaken you. But they plotted against him, and by order of the king, who's the king? Joash. They stoned him to death in the courtyard of the Lord's temple. Zechariah simply came in and told them what God said. He said, you've turned your backs on the Lord. And God is going to judge you for your sins. But the people didn't like the message, so they stoned Zechariah. And verse 22 is particularly sad. It says, That is how King Joash repaid Jehoiada for, this loyal, for his loyalty by killing his son. Joash was so far gone by this time that he allowed them to kill the son of the very man who had raised him and mentored him and who had been the only father that he had ever known. And that's how sin often works. Sin will convince you that whatever you're doing is right. And then when someone comes along and tells you you're wrong, you despise the words they speak, and maybe even try to destroy the messenger. That's how it was then. And unfortunately, many times that's still how it is today. Joash and the people of, God, of Judah missed God's revival because they refused to repent when they were confronted with their sins. They were so, stuck so deep in their sins that they called right wrong, and they called wrong right, and as a result, they paid a high price for their spiritual pride and arrogance. The same is true for us today. Far too many times we hear the Lord's voice but we don't want to heed to it because we have become tone deaf to the preaching of the Bible. Yeah, 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 that's just what the pastor said. If the pastor's preaching out of the Bible, you probably ought to listen. Now, when he starts preaching stuff that's not in there, you can plug your ears up. I'm not going to do that. Because what happens so many times, we hear it, but we really don't hear it. We hear it with our ears, but it never makes it past here, and it never affects our heart. It's delivered to us, but we don't listen. We might even say, hey, you don't have the right to say that to me. We believe that we're all right, and because we believe we're all right, we're not going to change anything in our lives. And sometimes they even you double down on the way we're living and say, you know what, Pastor, I'll show you. I'll quit coming to church. And I will tell you many, many times, that's when the descent into a life with no thought of God begins. I'll show you. That very attitude is why so much of the modern-day church is in the shape it's in. We have convinced ourselves 
that preaching might be okay for some folks, but not for me. But the truth is, God not only wants us to hear his word, he wants us to heed what we heard from the word of God. He wants us to change when the word of God says to change. He wants to humble us to humble ourselves before him and confess that we have been wrong because he is always right. He wants us to bow before him, confess our failures, and call upon his name in repentance. And until we as believers come to the place where we are willing, and I said as believers, where we are willing to come to the Lord and confess our sins, confess our failure, confess our complacency before the Lord, we will not see the blessing of revival. I'm glad I didn't ask up front who wants to see revival because there probably be some folks going, can I take that back right now? Folks, that's what it's going to take. We can either see revival or we can just keep on doing things like we've been doing them. We've been seeing God do great things. I believe we have been seeing revival happen in lives and in High Point Church. But if we are not willing to give it all to him, all to him, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying God's trying to make a deal with us. Some kind of deal that says, okay, here's how it works. You act right and then I'll bless you. That's not the deal. What I'm saying instead is that the blessings of God are incompatible with an unrepented life. God cannot dwell where sin is present. Any more than darkness can be where there is light. Simply stated, God cannot bless us when we're out of his will. That means we need to find our way back to the altar. We need to learn again what repentance means. We need to learn that we need sometimes come to the Lord and say, you know what, I was wrong. And until we do, we can forget revival happening in the way we say we want to see it happen. I want to see this church so on fire for God that when we come in here, the power of God is so strong in this place that people are worshiping and someone walks in this door and maybe they haven't been in a church in a long time or maybe never been in a church ever in their life, but they walk in and say, there's something going on there. There's something going on there and I don't know what it is, but I want more of it. Far too many times, the mission of revival gets grounded on the launch pad of our churches. In other words, everything is in place for revival. You look around this place, everything is in place for revival. We have the facility. We have people in place. We have Sunday school teachers. We have a worship team. We have media people. We have people that greet people at the door. We have people that help park cars if we need that. All of that is in place. You say, is that part of revival? Absolutely. We have all the pieces in place. But until we, us, until we have come to a place where we are saying, I surrender all. Lord, I will give you everything. Before I do anything, I will make sure that it is your will. Until we come to that place, we won't see revival. 
If we allow things of life to disrupt what God wants to do, we will not see revival personally or as a church. Serving God and dedicating ourselves to making him first in our life sometimes takes a back seat to stuff. Sometimes it back, takes a back seat to activities. And as a result, instead of experiencing revival, as it, as it happened with Joash and the people of Judah, everything goes back to the way it was before. You see, we're in revival now. But if we don't continue and continue to say, Lord, search my heart, we can go right back to the way it was before we started seeing revival. And then somebody will say, well, what happened? It is the spiritual version of woodpeckers pecking away at the foam around the fuel tanks on the space shuttle. It's those little things that we want to keep. We need to stay focused on the fact that we are called to be disciples and then go out from here and make disciples. This altar is not just a place for people to be saved. It's also a place for people who are saved to come and fall on their face before the Lord and say, Lord, I want you to be the first thing in my life. When I see people come from, the, from there to up here during the middle of a worship service and pour their heart out, we need to see more of that. We need to fall on our face and, Lord, I want you to be the first thing in my life. I want you to be ahead of, be ahead of everything else. Lord, search my heart, and if there's anything there that I have put a higher priority to in my life over you, then help me to either put it in its proper place or help me to remove it from my life completely. If there is sin, then show it to me so I can repent of it and go forward. Because what I really want is to glorify you in everything I do. Worship team, you come up. I want to see the revival continue at High Point Church. I want to see it grow bigger than it is right now. But it will only happen when we have taken down and removed anything in our life that has become an idol or anything that has become a priority over our walk with God. If the Lord has spoken to you today, and I hope that includes everyone in the building, would you come to him today and deal with whatever he has spoken to you about? Would you just stand this morning? And again, I believe that probably includes to an extent everyone because I believe that there are things in our lives, no matter who we are, that we haven't fully surrendered to God. And until, and until we're ready to do that, we will not see happen in our own lives or our church all that God has in store for us. Yeah, but we're seeing great things. Yes, we are. I believe God has even greater things. Those things will only come when we surrender completely to him. So today I'm going to ask everyone that would, would you come and pray with us for our church? Would you come and pray for God to reveal anything to you in your own heart that shouldn't be there? Would you come to the Lord this morning in confession and repentance, seeking his face for the help that we all need and seeking his face so that we would become what he wants us to become? And I will just say this, simply put, it's just time for us to kill some woodpeckers. Would you come as the worship team sings?